This frequency is for open-minded thinkers, for observers who are hopelessly curious, for experiencers of the mysterious, and for those who are passionate about perceiving the unknown. I will be sharing with you all my own exceptional experiences and other extraordinary constructs that exist in our reality. Welcome to Access Elysium. What's up and welcome to all of you beautiful souls out there. I am your host, Amber O'Dell, and this is the Access Elysium podcast. So did you know that centuries ago, blowing smoke up your ass was meant literally to describe a medical procedure in which a tube or rubber hose was inserted in a person's rectum through which tobacco smoke would be blown? Mm hmm. It was a thing. So this is an example of a belief that later was proven to be false in its healing abilities. So coming up on the show today, we're going to dive into how beliefs differ in science and religion, odd and dangerous beliefs throughout history, and understanding what your beliefs really are. So what the fuck is a belief? Ugh. Okay, this one, it gets it gets a little in there, man. I'm telling you, when I started this, it kind of popped in my head and I was like, oh, I love this. Let's roll with the beliefs. And it gets really deep in there when you start getting into religions and behaviors and whew, it gets interesting today. So a belief is an idea or an assumption that a person holds as to be true. Okay. First off the bat there, when I kind of was triggered to realize that my beliefs are the things that I actually don't know. <laughs> when you're like, I believe in this and I believe in that. You don't actually know. You're just hoping and deciding and assuming that you're going to go with the answer is yes, this is real for me. Beliefs in anything are not proven as factual, they are understood as the unknown, and we've decided to believe in it. What? Okay, a person can base a belief upon certainties like mathematical principles, probabilities, or matters of faith. A belief can come from different sources, uh, including a person's own experiences or someone else's story of their personal experiences. Beliefs come from all over the place. It is a mental attitude of acceptance towards a proposition without the full intellectual knowledge required to guarantee its truth. This shit is crazy. So, I mean, I know that <laughs> I have a lot of different beliefs, but mine are very flexible because I don't actually partake in just one solid like belief system. I'm more of an omniist in where I really like to learn about all kinds of other beliefs and other occurrences. And then I just take what resonates with me because it feels like, yes, that belongs to my understanding of what I want to believe. So I'm very open 
to lots of people's beliefs. If you believe that, you know, fairies rule the world, cool. I want to know. Tell me about it. You know, like (laughs) I'm, I'm open to hear where your beliefs stand. But first, we hold beliefs about ourselves. So number one, we have beliefs about our own, our own selves. Second, we hold beliefs about other people. And then lastly, we hold beliefs about the world around us as a whole. So our beliefs in each of these areas shape our perceptions and our perspectives, which ultimately shape our reality. So whatever you ultimately decide to believe in is shaping your entire existence. So one of my favorite um, places to read and find shit is the, the Big Think. I like them a lot. So they had this article on belief of science and religion. Very, very interesting. So belief is an essential need for all humans. It's not just about God or ghosts, okay? We have to choose how to deal with what we cannot know. This is where belief comes in. It fills the space of the unknown so that we can sustain our sense of purpose. What? This is magic, okay? Beliefs are like magic spells that give us the okay to, to move forward without understanding everything, which is great because this human filter has really restricted us on, on knowing all the things. So you kind of just have to feel your way through this shit. So humans are unique in sharing one very peculiar trait. We believe. The nature of that belief varies a lot. Man, we're all over the place. We got all kinds of crazy shit that we believe in. Uh, Belief is not just faith in a supernatural God or deity or spirits or ghosts or angels or demons or aliens or any of that stuff. Belief is an essential need for all of us humans. You believe in your capacity for your success when you start a new project or a new job. Like you believe that your team is going to win the game this time because you have faith in that. You believe that your idea is the right one, even though it's still just an idea and it's an unreal realized plan. You are passionate about your beliefs and that passion fuels your drive to push forward. Without belief, we are stagnant. Yes. Okay. So is believing pretty much the entire fuel that we use to push us through this reality? Because even our (laughs) non-beliefs is a belief. Okay. So If you're an atheist, you still believe that there is no God. You're just, you just have a belief in non-belief. It's still a belief. Like, you're not getting out of this. So to say that the lack of evidence for a supernatural being is enough to rule out its existence is also a belief. Like, you can prove lots of things through science, but a belief is the acknowledgement of what you're accepting. So what is supernatural anyways? Uh, This is another one (laughs) that I get into. I don't think there's a difference between supernatural and natural. I feel like somebody came up with this supernatural word because it, it happens differently to everyone and not 
everyone. I, I think it's all the same, though. If you have a supernatural experience where you can hear or see or feel a ghost or an alien or a demon, it is still an event that has been observed by you or has emitted sound waves for you to hear it or frequencies of some type, and they have been detected by your sensory organs in this existence. It is happening. The only thing that makes us aware of it happening is if we have the sensory organs or the capability to perceive it. Or if you are an individual that does not think that they have ever had a supernatural experience, if you are even open to the idea of those experiences, you can still believe in someone else's experience and create a perception that is accepting of these occurrences for you even though it hasn't happened for you. So you still have a belief in them. Uh, it doesn't have to be your own experience. This is where I like to exist sometimes. I have absolutely had many amazing supernatural experiences. And still, I keep my beliefs open to other people's experiences so that I do not have a closed-minded perception of the reality around me. Um, I cannot rule out anyone else's beliefs based on the fact that they have not happened to me. That's ridiculous. Everything that could ever happen cannot happen to me. <laughs> I mean, if it could, that'd be awesome. And that's what reality really is, is us living forever and ever and ever. But we don't want to do it all the same way. So we change it up and we make different lives and we go into different things and we transfer into different bodies and lives. But right now we're just right here. So <laughs> I'll reel it back in. So this is also where science and spirituality or religion start to butt heads. I don't think that these two concepts exist separate from one another. Uh, they're forever intertwined and have an effect on each other, regardless of anybody's beliefs. Uh, or do they? I mean, hmm, what if your beliefs are the essential building blocks of how these laws and interactions react to us? What if your entire life is only built off your belief system? What if you're restricted to this tiny little belief box and you're missing out on all of these other opportunities for you to have these experiences because of your behavior based off of your beliefs? Okay. Science is only what you can measure, right? Okay. And metaphysics or spirituality or religion or whatever is what you cannot measure. These two dualities become blurred when your beliefs are doubted, though, and you reach those limits of what you know. Like now you're like, I, I don't know. So you have to decide to believe in something, whether it's on the science side or the religious side. So religion and science do overlap in our minds and in our choices of how we want to react to our beliefs. That's how it's physically panning out in our reality. So to state that the supernatural has an intangible existence, one that is immeasurable and thus undetectable, places it beyond the scientific measurements of our understanding, but it is not undetectable. And otherwise, none of us would ever have an experience whatsoever. It just would not happen. We wouldn't be able to even experience it. All 
humans across all religions and all scientific studies are experiencing supernatural experiences. Okay, they're being detected by us. Science just doesn't like that you cannot control the detection or the measurement. Science likes to control things. If you can have it in a controlled setting, then it's science. And if you can't, then it's pseudoscience. Eh, No, that just means (laughs) we are not there yet. It is our, it's, it's like out of our control to some extent. <laughs> like a lot of extent. <laughs> Most of the supernatural experiences I've had, I am not in control of any of that. I'm just a witnessing it. You are sharing a, okay, it's like there is something very unique and special about having a true spiritual, religious, supernatural experience. You are sharing a sense of being united in a moment with the unknown, like with a real presence that is outside of the usual filters of your reality. It is an experience beyond the restrictions of your perception. And it's fucking terrifying and amazing and bewildering. And I love them. (laughs) I am always looking forward to the next supernatural experience that I can have. That is when you're faced with the choice of how do you deal with what we cannot know. Science as we know it is left behind at this point and your boundaries are expanded and now in complete question. I mean, I love both science and the supernatural. I love them both. Oh, they're so great. Like that we we discover so much from both of them. And for me, they're always connected. You just don't fully understand the reach they both have into all the worlds around us. That's that's the limitation. We don't understand how far they go yet. Science is sustained by tools and religion is sustained by faith. So beliefs fill the space of the unknown so that we can sustain our sense of purpose. We want to feel like we belong and our beliefs help us do that. Both of science and religion are practicing the deep need to understand our origins and to expand our grasp on reality. And our belief in them gives us hope and a sense of community in our findings. So what was this one? Smart Minds had an article on how beliefs like shape your life. So they say beliefs, the beliefs that we hold are a critical and essential part of our identity. They could be religious, moral, cultural, but they are a part of us and reflect who we are. So beliefs are broadly classified into two categories, rational beliefs and irrational beliefs. So examples of rational beliefs are like it gets cold in the winter and warm in the summer. Okay, there's no real proof to validate this assumption exactly, uh, but our life experience has taught us to believe it because, yeah, I mean, it gets super cold uh, mostly in the winter and it gets super hot in the summer, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't get hot in the winter and cold in the summer. So that's just a rational belief. Yes, we've seen that happen before. Yeah, we're going to go ahead and say that's true. If you treat people well, you will reap the rewards later in your life. 
Um, I firmly believe, uh, air quotes in that, again, but there is no proof of this, like, (laughs) it's believed that there will be a positive payback when you show kindness to people. And maybe that's the sciencey part going, there's no proof of it, but I absolutely believe that there is proof of that. I mean, just because you're the sweetest person on earth doesn't mean that something terrible and tragic can happen to you. But I do believe that what you put out into the universe comes back to you and see this whole time, everything I'm stating is I believe. I do believe that that's how it works. But guess what? I don't know. I don't know. Because my beliefs are filling in the gaps of the things that I don't know that I've decided that yeah, sure. That's how I want it to go. So what if our beliefs just give us the opportunity to mold our reality and make it real? Okay, here's some examples of irrational beliefs. Like all of my competition is better than me. If you've been an artist or of any kind and you start comparing your art to other people, It's just, you're like, I'll never be that good. Or, oh my gosh, they're so amazing. And you can't get that imposter syndrome going. It will tear you apart. You have to know that you're individual to everyone else. And nobody is better or worse because everyone is unique. So this is definitely an irrational belief. I Here's another one. I think I'm going to screw up this relationship if I get into it. You are already assuming that you're going to fuck something up. And so you shouldn't do it. These are classified as negative beliefs and are referred to as mistaken convictions. You're just deciding to convict yourself (laughs) for no reason based off of irrational beliefs. Okay, so I found on this psychom.net website. So Created by Albert Ellis is REBT or Rational Emotive Behavior Therapy. It's a form of cognitive behavior therapy and it's been used in treatment since the 1950s. Its foundation is the belief, ah, oh my gosh, it's everywhere now, that it is not the events in our lives that cause our emotions. Rather, it is our beliefs that cause us to experience emotions such as anger or depression and anxiety. Okay, so to kind of understand this, there are three kind of major irrational thinking statements. Here they are. Number one. I must do well and win others' approval or else I am no good. I mean, I understand this because I'm always pushing myself and wanting to create things that people will love and that they could um, understand or enjoy. Like, I really like bringing people together. So I do know that I look for other people's approval in certain ways. Uh, Number two, others must treat me fairly and kindly and in the same way I want them to treat me. If they do not treat me this way, they are not good people and deserve to be punished. (laughs) This is irrational thinking, guys, okay? This is, so you do think that all the time. You know, you you think that if you, you, you wanna treat others how you would like to be treated, but then if they don't, you think that they're not good people and they deserve to be punished for it. No, (laughs) 
No, that is that's not how it actually works. Now, here's number three, irrational thinking. I must always get what I want when I want it. Likewise, I must never get to what I don't want. If I don't get what I want, I'm miserable. That was kind of like a whole mouthful of wanty wants. But so it's kind of like you're striving for the things that you want. And if you don't get it, you're going to be miserable. Yeah, this is irrational thinking. So according to Albert, the following are three major insights to this behavior. When individuals understand and accept that the main cause of emotional reactions are their beliefs about an event instead of the event itself. That is, we do not just get upset from an event. We get upset for ourselves because of our irrational beliefs. This is getting super technical. Okay, when people acquire irrational beliefs, if they do not deal with them, they hold on to the belief and it's what continues to upset them in the present. So these individuals will still wholeheartedly believe in those three irrational thinking statements from before. So he's made it clear, this Ellis dude, that understanding these insights does not make us better. That is, understanding these beliefs and having insights on how they affect our emotional responses is not enough to cure us. No, we're fucked, okay? In reality, (laughs) the best way to get better and stay better is to continually work on recognizing our irrational beliefs and changing our irrational beliefs and transforming negative emotions into positive ones. So I try to tell this to my sister all the time. (laughs) She gets so mad at me. She's like, you just think it's just so easy to just come up with a solution for something. And I'm like, dude, (laughs) you have this irrational reaction to things. If something's not working out, you just need to stop believing that it just isn't ever going to work out and you should be miserable and blah, blah, blah. You need to take that next step to figuring out what is going to work for you instead of dwelling in the irrational beliefs. (laughs) She's going to love that I'm talking about her. So here's another thing that kind of goes into our beliefs is our behaviors. So the word behavior refers to a lasting group of beliefs, feelings, and tendencies directed towards a particular idea, object, or group of people. So it's an attitude. Our beliefs or our behaviors is our attitudes that are triggered by our beliefs about something. Are you still following me? So what we believe are important behaviors or what behaviors we admire in ourselves and others generally reflect our lives and our values. So we always attract those experiences that match our existing belief systems. Okay, so if you believe in the, what is it, the flying spaghetti monster in the sky um, religion, everything that kind of validates that belief is what you're going to gravitate to anyways. So if you need to change your thoughts and values on something because they're not improving your life, you need to let go of certain 
belief systems and replace them with behaviors and values that will bring you positive ones. I don't really know too much about the spaghetti sky monster (laughs) religion to know if it is like a good one to follow or not. I think that some people thought it was kind of like a, a joke that they were coming forward with. Um, to contradict different teachings on evolution in school. But I think there's actually a pretty, pretty big following for the spaghetti monster in the sky religion now. <laughs> I need to look into that one. So, okay. There's a few things you can do to shift to new and non-restricted belief systems. Um, one is where my sister will be like, mm, you just think it's that easy. Yeah. Sometimes it is. Stop identifying with those limiting beliefs. So if you think, let's just say one of your beliefs is that you're a middle class white girl who will only get so far in life because of your status, that's a that's an irrational belief. You just stop that. <laughs> actually decide, okay, this belief isn't working for me. So ditch that and try out some new ones. You know, like whatever you think you believe to be certain is probably a lot more flexible than you imagined. Okay. What you think to be true is more likely negotiable. (laughs) Question all the beliefs you have about what you think is true. Because Nothing is what you think it is. None of this shit is real, guys. This is... <laughs> we are having experiences, but reality is very different for every person based on your beliefs. So it looks like there's about an estimated 10,000 distinct religions worldwide. That's... That's a lot of religions going on in parallel to each other. Uh, The three basic categories for religions is the polytheism, which is the belief that there are many gods. So I think this one is like Hinduism. There's lots and lots of gods out there. Then there's the monotheism, the belief that there's only one God. That's definitely the whole Christianity and the Islam. And then atheism, the belief that there is no God. Um, So here are the four top religions in the world right now. I think I got this. It was like from January this year. So Christianity is coming in in first place here with 2.4 billion followers. Islam is in a nice hard second place with 1.8 billion followers. And this one was so surprising. Atheists are a hard third place now with 1.2 billion followers. And number four is Hinduism with 1.1 billion followers. Everybody else fell underneath the billion number. Like they're in the millions, which that's kind of crazy because, you know, there's a few celebrities that have more followers than certain religions. (laughs) That's how diverse our belief systems are. So here's a few uh, false beliefs that people have had over the years. So 
lightning never strikes the same place twice. Wrong. Mm -mm. In fact, lightning tends to strike the same place over and over and over again. The Empire State Building gets hit a hundred times a year. Any tall structure or tree is prone to multiple hits from lightning during electrical storms. And a study in 2003 by NASA pretty much put this myth to a test. So here is a super fun story. I was in junior high. How old was I? I don't know. I was hanging out at one of my friend's house. And we'd met some boys and we were trying to give them her address to figure out where we were so they could come by and say hi and, you know, flirt with us for a minute. And it kind of got to get a little rainy and stormy and it was starting to rain and get a little crazy. And they called us and said that they were, you know, almost right up the street here. So I grabbed her umbrella and I ran out to the bottom of the driveway and stuck it up in the air (laughs) So I could wave it around to the boys so they could see which house was ours as lightning came down and struck a tree that was in her yard. So I felt this lightning bolt come off of the tree through the top of this umbrella down my arm and out the bottom of my elbow. <laughs> I can't really say that I've been struck by lightning because it was just like this little side um, arc that hit me. (laughs) But I felt this electrical current go through my body. All the hair on my body stood up on end. And there was this humming sound that was kind of like in my head for a second. And even the bottom of my elbow had this really weird looking kind of like black bruise on it. (laughs) So I guess if I've been struck by lightning once, I could get struck by lightning twice. So here's another one. You only use 10% of your brain? No. This is not true. Okay, that that if you got shot in the head, um, it wouldn't do much damage if it only, you know, busted up the 10% that was supposed to be working for you. No, this is false. The brain is constantly working. It's using all of the things, guys. So during a normal course of a day, 100% of your brain is chugging away at one point or another. So we, we use 100% of our brain, guys. I don't know where that came from either. I used to say that when I was a kid too. It's not true. Um, if a jellyfish stings you, you should piss on it uh, and it'll help alleviate the pain. Uh-uh. It's not true. It's not true. I mean, it could make for a funny story with one of your friends pissing on each other, but the truth is that urine is not the answer to a jellyfish sting. In fact, putting urine on the sting could cause more pain by releasing more venom from the stinger. Uh, Better to rub it with vinegar. The acid in the vinegar will counteract the stinger and relieve the pain. So uh, no piss (laughs) on jellyfish stings. Oh, here's another one. And I think this is Hollywood you know, embellished, but undercover police in the United States have to identify themselves if asked. Uh, now to down. Now, if you feel like you can just ask somebody if they're a police officer and they have to answer you correctly, this is false. Okay, undercover police officers, <laughs> they don't need to tell you shit. They they don't have to produce any kind of identification um, while they're practicing with their powers. It's It's not true, guys. Uh, nope. So here is some more 
lovely stuff from the internet that I found. TheHistoryCollection.com has truly bizarre beliefs throughout history that you're like, uh, are you for real? So from the belief that joining the workforce and getting a job would dry out a woman's uterus to the conviction that cats were familiars of Satan. Plenty of people have had plenty of strange, bizarre beliefs throughout history. So some of these odd beliefs were pretty much contradictory. Okay. Uh, didn't stop them though. So Take the belief that women were too delicate to work and that gainful employment would dry out a woman's uterus. Yeah, who the fuck? I, I know who did this. Some lazy rich bitch. Okay, that belief was widespread amongst 18th and 19th century British upper classes. Yep, I know it. You don't want to get them pretty dresses dirty, yet those same British upper classes also knew that women routinely worked 16-hour days in coal mines, uh, long hours in the hellish factories and workshops in the Industrial Revolution. Uh, yeah, I think it was just those delicate little rich women who did not want to get their hands dirty. Uh, here's another one from the, from the intro here. <laughs> Tobacco was introduced to Europe by the Spanish in 1528, and from early on it was described as a sacred herb because of its supposed medicinal properties as claimed by various Native Americans. So one thing here to discuss is I actually think that tobacco in its original form was a very sacred herb. I think it probably did hold some medicinal properties when used correctly um, through the Native American rituals and shamans and elders. And nowadays, if you're going to pull a cigarette out of a Marlboro pack, that that thing is not tobacco, okay? We have fucked that sacred herb into the ground. It is no longer sacred. It's full of chemicals. It will it will harm you. Don't smoke cigarettes. Um, I think that if it was in its original sacred herb form, it, we would be talking about a very different story here. But today, when somebody says, you're just blowing smoke at my ass, it is a figure of speech. However, centuries ago, blowing smoke up the ass was meant literally to describe a medical procedure in which a tube or a rubber hose was inserted in a person's rectum through which tobacco smoke would be blown. <laughs> Who came up with this idea? I, I love this. In the 1700s, doctors routinely used tobacco smoke enemas in the mistaken belief that they had healing properties. So blowing smoke up the ass was thought to be particularly useful in reviving drowning victims. Oh, here again, genius, because the drowning part happens through your asshole, right? The nicotine in the tobacco was thought to make the heart beat faster, thus stimulating respiration, while smoke from the burning tobacco was thought to warm the drowning victims from the inside. It made intuitive sense, right? The drowned person was full of water, so blowing air in the form of tobacco smoke was full of healing properties and would expel the water. <laughs> I mean, I guess since if they didn't have a very good idea of uh, 
biology at the time. I fuck, I think we should have known better by the 1700s, right? Ah. Although medically useless, a uh, belief in this efficiency of tobacco smoke and enemas in reviving drowning victims or even those presumed to be dead was widespread. So widespread that medical kits for blowing smoke up the ass were found at routine intervals along major rivers, such as River Thames. There were, (laughs) there they awaited like modern defibrillators ready for use to revive the drowned and bring the dead back to life. (laughs) I love belief systems. This is fabulous. I mean, who's going to look back at our time in the future and be like, guess what, guys? They thought <laughs> that if they ate three meals a day that they were going to be healthy. I don't know. It's something that we believe now is going to be absolutely fucking ridiculous later. So blowing smoke up the ass was eventually used to not only revive the drowned, but also to treat colds and headaches and hernias and abdominal cramps and heart attacks. Um, I don't know where they're getting this from. This is just like some kind of voodoo witch doctor bullshit. Well, the treatment was useless for the patient. It could be quite dangerous for the medical practitioner, particularly if he was blowing the smoke with his mouth instead of using a tube. I did not even um, think of that. So should the doctor inhale instead of exhale, uh, or if gases in the patient's bowels escaped, fecal particles could get blown back into the doctor's mouth or inhaled into his lungs. And such a mishap, particularly when treating a cholera patient, could prove fatal for the doctor. Please, please tell me. (laughs) The... There were there were no doctors out there sticking their fucking mouths on assholes and blowing smoke in people's asses. <laughs> I mean, I get it. If you thought you were saving their life, you were trying. Oh, man, that's like best effort. I cannot be mad at that person. Nope. They tried their best. So here's here's another fun one from longer ago. So. The ancient Romans had a rich religious pantheon that included over 200 types of gods. One of the lesser known ones today, although was quite popular with contemporary ancient Romans, was Fashionus. I'm going to go with that. Fashionus, the winged penis god. Uh huh. So Fashionus was literally an erect penis and testicles. Okay, follow me here. With a penis for a tail and penises for legs. It was penises for days. (laughs) And he had wings so he could fly around and find sleeping women to spit on. (laughs) Fashionus was the god of masculine regenerative power, whose symbol was a phallus. He was believed to be lucky, so worshippers carried him around in the form of a necklace hanging from their necks, just like Christians wear crosses around their necks today. Just a big old penis with a penis tail and some penis feet and wings. The most famous Roman maiden supposedly was impregnated by Fascius, and her name is fucking weird too. Osiriusia? Nah, fuck, I don't know. She was the mother of Rome's sixth king, Servius Tilius, and she was a foreign noblewoman 
captured in war and made a slave in the household of the Rome's king Tarquinius. As the legend went, she was a virgin. Of course she was, because we love virgin stories. And one day while performing the sacred rites of the Vestal Virgins, you had to like do a sacred ritual if you were a virgin all the time. Ugh, I... I would not have been <laughs> performing those rituals for long. A disembodied winged penis flew in while she was doing her sacred ritual and impregnated her. And the result was Servius Tilius, who was raised in the royal household. Although a slave, he so impressed the king that he eventually freed him and gave him his daughter's hand in marriage. And after the king's death, he was succeeded by him on the throne, None other than the son of the divine flying penis. <laughs> so fashionist, I think fashionist, fuck, I don't know. The winged penis worship went into decline after the rise of Christianity and eventually vanished along with the rest of antiquity's pagan pantheons. Oh, bye-bye, little flying penis. Um, another one here is the curated properties of gladiators' bodily fluids. So these Romans, man, they had some crazy shit going on. Um, so ancient Romans had what can be described as mixed feelings about the gladiators. Okay, so first of all, Gladiator the movie. When that came out, I love it. It's so great. Um, I kind of have this... Uh, attraction to like the warrior soul so I would have definitely been one of the uh, gladiator uh, lovers for sure <laughs> but on the one hand gladiators were despised as slaves they trained under extremely brutal conditions uh, generally segregated from everybody else and then on the other hand gladiators were like the most successful ones were admired and celebrated like modern rock stars and athletes and stuff like they were the LeBron Jameses and the Michael Jacksons of gladiators so because of their constant training gladiators were often impressive physical specimens yes they were so with the, all of these muscles and abilities understandably uh that made gladiators objects of sexual fantasies for Roman women yep it would have been one of them and for quite a few Roman men, <laughs> for that matter, too. So gladiator bodily fluids, especially their sweat, were highly sought after commodities. Uh, wealthy women in particular were willing to pay really big bucks for the dirt and the sweat that came from the bodies of these gladiators. So they would scrape away with this blade after they were done with their um, fights to remove dirt and perspiration and oils from the skin before bathing and they would put those into bottles and sell them outside the gladiator games like whoever came up with this merch idea <laughs> genius marketing the buyers would often apply the gladiator sweat and grime directly to their faces as a type of facial cream and others would mix it in their cosmetics and perfumes their blood was also sought after by roman women many applied the blood of their favorite gladiators to coat their jewelry their combs their wigs they mixed it in their cosmetics um they would use them as aphrodisiacs 
and it could be drank pure or often mixed in with wine and ingested as well. Um, They believed to have healing properties, particularly in treating epilepsy. I don't know where they're getting (laughs) their angles on this stuff, but those were beliefs that they had that were very, I mean, if you, okay, I'm, you know what, I'm a uh, believer in moisturizers as well. I feel like you should moisturize your face. You should use SPF so that you don't turn into old crusty dusty too soon and keep that skin young. So mm, I'm kind of a believer in a skincare (laughs) regimen. I've been a makeup artist for years and I know what it's like if you if you put moisturizer on somebody's skin before you put their makeup on, it's going to glide on better. So I believe in moisturizers. <laughs> okay, well, here's another one. So there was this medieval assassin cult. It was founded by Sheikh Hassan al-Sabah. I hope I said that right. From 1034 to 1124. And he was a shadowy Islamic scholar who seized this castle high in the mountains south of the Caspian Sea in Persia in 1090. From there, his followers established a series of remote mountain fortresses in Persia and Syria. So that string earned him the nickname, the old man of the mountain. So this is, oh my gosh, he was crazy. He would get his followers to become suicide squadrons and killers known as the self-sacrificers to terrorize the Middle East. The fuck? Okay, Sheikh adopted a creative strategy to convince his recruits that he controlled access to paradise. Potential recruits would be summoned to one of his fortresses where they would receive religious education and be housed in absolute bare cells. During the course of their education, the instructors would gradually begin hinting that Sheikh Hassan held the keys to heaven. So once they were judged to have been sufficiently primed and more promising of the young men would be drugged with hashish earning the group Arabic name hashishin I think that's how you say it but that's where we came up with the word assassins by various Europeans so when the recruits came to high on hash and tripping fucking balls he would find himself in a breathtaking orchard with gardens and like streams and waters and There would be trees full of ripe fruits and rows and vines of grapes and peacocks running around, spreading their tails of gorgeous feathers. There would be tamed deers frolicking around, uh, colored birds. I mean, this place was fucking stunning when they would wake up from these drug-induced stages. And so also surrounding them would be stunning women to seduce them and cater to their every desire and satisfying their whims. Okay. The recruits would be kept high on hash and fed delicacies that they probably never knew existed. And all the while, the seductresses would convince these young men that they were in heaven. Then after days of heavenly delights, the recruits would be drugged senseless one more and removed from these pleasure gardens. So then when they would wake up later, they would discover that they were back in these 
boring ass fucking bare cells surrounded by just nothing like they were just in and they would be informed that they had just been to paradise sent there by Sheik who held the keys to heaven. So the recruits would then be told that they could return to heaven and its delights if he died while killing the Sheik's enemies. It was extremely effective for nearly two centuries. The Middle East was terrorized by these suicide squads of horny young fucking idiots high on hash and desperate to get back to this ridiculously made up paradise. I mean, this is awful. This this belief system is so manipulated for these young guys. Ugh, I, I don't know. Drugs do crazy things to you people. I mean, and so do manipulative cult leaders. Ugh. Well, here's another fun one. Um, upstate New York was once inhabited by giants. So in 1969, excitement swept through the religiously devout. And as word spread that evidence supporting the biblical tales that giants had once roamed the earth had been unearthed in upstate New York. So it began October 16th, 1869, when the laborers were digging for a well for this uh, William Newell in Cardiff, New York, and they struck stone. So further digging revealed a huge foot. And then with mounting excitement, they continued excavating. And to their amazement, they ended up unearthing the petrified remains of a 10 foot tall man. So hundreds of archaeologists and scientists and thousands of curious, you know, Bible bangers came flocking to the farm and he charged 50 cents for a look. So he made no claims about the giant's authenticity, but invited onlookers to make their own conclusions. Observant people saw it as a crude statue. Mm, Yeah, the pictures, it's like, really? But to the religious people who had their own beliefs in this, it was proof of Genesis 6-4, which stated that the world had once been inhabited by giants. Now, before I go further into this... I too believe that giants once roamed the earth. There is no reason why there couldn't have been way larger humans or partial humans or other beings of some kind that were bigger than us. Look at all the things that are smaller than us. There's got to be things bigger than us too. I would never rule out the fact that there were giants among us. But back to this one. In reality, observant skeptics were right. And the unearthed giant was just a statue. It was a prank on the religiously uh, kind of like gullible people. Okay. It stemmed from a heated debate at a revival meeting regarding the biblical claim about the giants. So So George Hull, an atheist who had participated in the debate, decided to see how gullible his religious people could be. So he bought a big block of gypsum in Iowa and shipped it to Chicago. There he swore a stone cutter to secrecy and had him carve the stone into the shape of a man and to give it the results of, you know, looking old and aged, they used chemicals and stabbed it and punctured it and made it look weathered. And then he shipped it to his farm or to a farm of his cousin who buried it in his barn in 1869 they waited a whole year 
later and hired workers to dig to uh, to build them a well behind the barn where they came across the statue. So now archaeologists and scientists and other scholars who saw what came to be known as the Cardiff Giant were nearly unanimously in declaring that it was a fucking fraud. But their voices were completely drowned out, however, by the thundering preachers who passionately defended the prank's authenticity. While they debated and debated, it raged on. Crowds of the curious and faithful kept coming in with even greater numbers to see for themselves. So Huckster P.T. Barnum yeah, isn't that the Barnum and Bain, that whatever, the circus guy or did all the freak shows? Um, He offered the syndicate the equivalent of a million dollars for the giant. The owners refused to sell, so Barnum had a plaster copy made and exhibited it in New York City. He declared it to be the authentic Cardiff giant and that was the one in Syracuse was false. His brassness worked, giving rise to the phrase coined for those paying to see Barnum's copy that there's a sucker born every minute. I mean, look at all these people just messing with everybody's beliefs here. Ugh. Well, I'm sure it's happening to all of us at some point in time. We just have to decide what we want to believe in. And that, my friend, is probably the free will that we are able to have is to decide in what beliefs that we want to believe in. So I found on relevantmagazine.com strange Christian beliefs that time forgot. So these were interesting. So, you know, 2000 years ago, followers of Jesus started spreading the word across the Roman Empire that God had come to earth preached a message of love and forgiveness, was put to death by the government, and then three days later came back to life. And that's a pretty awesome story to tell, so that's going to spread like wildfire. And people who believe the story still are called Christians, and today is one of the dominant global religions. So there's a lot of things in Christianity that I question. I think it has a lot of beautiful information for people, but some of it is just like, what? So there's a lot of concepts that have been dropped off of the bandwagon for Christianity over the years, and one of them is called sin eating. Though it's unclear how widespread the practice was, sin eating has popped up throughout history in various strains of Christian folklore, including Scotland and Wales in the 18th century. So the idea relates to someone who would consume a small meal prepared near or sometimes in the corpse of a recently deceased person as a way of freeing sins from their souls. This person would carry the dead person's sins within them, mirroring Jesus taking the sins of the world at his death. Although the practice declined over time, I don't see why. That sounds lovely to do. Scottish novelist Catherine Sinclair wrote that she heard of the practice continuing well into the 1800s. Mm, see, I was just talking about this other uh, cannibalistic tribe that would eat parts of their dead in the ceremony of their funerals. Yeah, I mean so weird. Like, I don't know that we should be eating other people, right? 
But we're definitely not eating live things. Like if we're going to eat meat, it's going to be dead meat. So am I really being (laughs) objective about this? I'm eating dead meat all the time. I'm always, I don't, I don't eat live meat, guys. Nope. We're all eating dead meat. Did you know that? (laughs) So we could be sin eating all the time. All right. Next one is suicide burials. So these Christians in the 18th and 19th centuries had people who died by suicide were considered to have committed a grave sin against God and their body was dragged through the streets and buried at a crossroads at night. The idea was that crossroads would confuse the victim's spirit, which might otherwise return to town as a ghost and start causing problems. So the practice was banned by the Burial of Suicide Act in 1823. We were doing this not that long ago, 200 years ago. We were dragging dead bodies through the, the streets if they were a suicide because we thought their ghosts would fuck with us. <laughs> okay, okay. So here's the last one of those crazy Irish, or I'm sorry, Christian um, practices, the Irish sailing monks. Okay, in the Middle Ages. Many Irish monks would set sail in a small, um, like, (laughs) tiny boat with nothing in it and only trusting that God would see them to a new shore if that's what God wanted to do. Like, they were playing Russian roulette here. (laughs) It was a sign of extreme devotion, and monks who survived their voyage would live out the rest of their days in peace and isolation on whatever small Irish island God brought to them. You can actually still see many of their monasteries today on some of these islands. So, I mean, a few of them, I guess God was like, yeah, bruh, I got you. We we can do this. Well, here we get into the dangerous religious beliefs um, from wakeupworld.com, the top most restrictive false and dangerous religious beliefs. Here is where we get into sticky waters. Okay, so number one, God is on my side. This sounds like a very simple and lovely statement, I guess, until you dig into it more. So many people kind of get stumped on this one. Um, It's like all about division and judgment and condemnation and war and bloodshed and all these things have occurred in the name of religions um, because God is on my side, not your side. And my God is better than your God. And my God is the correct God, not yours. And my God will favor me and reward me, not you. This is kind of weird to think about. So if God is on my side and all that is, is like one encompassing God, is on my side. So how exactly can all that is be on my side um, if there's multiple sides? I mean, can all that is have multiple sides? I mean, isn't it everything? So it includes everything? So it doesn't really have any sides. So the fact that you would then think that your God is better than another God because my all that is is better than all that is for you. It's all the same thing. No, no, you you can't have your God be better than somebody else's God if it's all that is. 
you know what I mean? How can you have your own all that is and I can have my own all that is if it's everything and it belongs equally to everyone? You can't really possess that. You can't have God on your side if he's not supposed to be on somebody else's side if there are no sides. That one gets kind of tricky. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Um, it's kind of nonsensical once you start to, to, to say it out loud. Can there be a correct or right all that is? Like, I don't, I don't think so. You don't get rewarded for being with a certain God. Um, that's just like exclusiveness to I'm in, you're out. I'm in the club, you're not in the club. This is like the most powerful and dangerous religious belief that, you know, puts on their followers to say that you're better than other people because you're following this belief. That's kind of scary. I don't think anybody is better than anybody. I think everybody has the opportunity to believe in whatever they want and you get and you're not better or worse for it. It just is. So another one is you know, the ones where they're like, my religion is the only true and correct religion. And boy, did I get hit with this when I came to Texas, which I didn't understand what they were saying at first. So this one girl was saying that she was a part of the true believers of the true religion of Christianity. And I was like, what do you, what do you mean by that? I don't, I was like, well, how do you know yours is true? Well, how do you know yours is the right one? And she didn't know really how to tell me <laughs> because I truly was curious. I was like, well, it's the true religion. What do you mean? Like, how do you know? Like, how do you know yours is true and someone else's isn't? So like the word religion is derived from a Latin verb meaning to bind. So it's really describing binding of oneself with God which that sounds amazing. Um, but some have suggested that each and every human is a religion unto themselves because of their unique and individualized relationship with the infinite. You have your own personal relationship with God, with the source, with the infinite, with the universe. Um, there cannot be one true religion because religion itself is a belief system. It's a lens it's a set of perceptions about what life and God is. Religion is a belief and a belief is the unknown that we assume to be true. So life is about, you know, experiencing your own connections with it and not condemning others for having their own experiences. I mean, that's just... That's just me. So here's another one. Non-believers are evil. Oh my gosh. Okay, here's another thing where you're just like, people want to feel accepted. I get it. I figured out that religions are more about community and finding others that are similar to you. So you feel a part of a tribe and everybody has similar ways of thinking. So you're not like the weird one out and you just want to feel belonged. It's a primal need. Uh, in humans to be a tribe together. Um, and that's exploited by a lot of religions. And it's twisted into, oh, if you're in the club, 
um, and it's true and the correct one, then everybody else is wrong. And sometimes evil, the non-believer or the heretic is an outsider and someone who doesn't deserve the full treatment um, and sometimes will get killed for it. So there's like so many examples of <laughs> what religions consider to be evil. And in the end, it's just religions don't like free thinking non-believers because it threatens the illusion of what they're teaching and shows that people can be completely free and kind without having the threat of being condemned by a higher source like you know of an outside source I still don't get this to this day that you should be a good person because you feel that it's the right thing to do and not because if you're not, you will get in trouble with God. Like what kind of fuck? This is like uh, threatening people to do what you want them to do based on the consequence of being put to hell or, you know, imprisoned or instead of just being a good person. Or, oh, here's another one. We are the chosen people. The idea that God has a favorite set of people. Oh, you know what, though? This sounds like a human characteristic. These are all human characteristics pumped into a religious belief because God does not have favorite people. Okay, this is stupid. Um, it It's like... The Bible thinks that there's chosen ones, and I know, I think that Judaism thinks there's chosen ones, and Jehovah Witnesses thinks there's a certain amount of place reserved in heaven for them, and, like, it just teaches you that the people who don't believe are not going good places, um, and you have to, to receive eternal life and salvation, and you don't get, you know condemned to hell for your sins um, if you believe in what we want and you're one of the chosen ones. I think we're all chosen ones or we would not be here. We all are the chosen people because we chose to be here. (laughs) You are no better than the next person because you're all special. Don't let anybody tell you different. Um... Yeah, so, and then there's, like, the dangerous belief of, I guess there's, like, you know, Jesus, Muhammad, and other prophets that had, like, special human powers that you could never be. You could never be Jesus and Muhammad and Buddha. Like, I guess a few people could be Buddha. You can, there's some Buddhas out there. I think they'd keep buddha in on. <laughs> but so that they make you feel like you're never as special as or connected, you're separate based off of Jesus is the only son of God. You're not. And this false notion that the prophets have something that you don't. I mean, oh my God, look at the FLDS bullshit. Ugh, that's just not true. Now, I don't, if Jesus was a real dude doing some really awesome things, you are just as awesome, as special as Jesus he's not um, different from you. I mean, we're all different, okay? We are all different. We're all unique. But 
you are just as special as Jesus. He's not more special than you. I know I might get in trouble from some people, but even Jesus would say, now you be nice to all those people who are homeless or having a hard time or going through rough patches. People are sinners. Oh my gosh. We we're supposed to, it's okay. Like you want to learn from your mistakes. We don't even know what mistakes are until we label them as mistakes. Sometimes mistakes are wonderful. You learn so much. Your life changes in better ways. Mistakes are okay. I tell this to my kids all the time. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. Uh, mistakes have beautiful, you know, endings sometimes. You learn beautiful things from your mistakes. It is okay to fuck shit up. Go fuck it up. Fuck it up. I remember working with this girl who I just adored um, with one of our photography studios and she was our manager, our photo manager. And she was like, you know, I'm just so afraid of messing up. And I go, oh my gosh, girl, don't be, go fuck that shit up. Go fuck it up. Do not be afraid to fuck shit up. You will, I learn so much more when I fuck something up than I will ever learn if I get it always right. No, it's okay to make mistakes. So here's like, I don't know, there's some, uh, oh, there's so many of these scary, dangerous religious beliefs. Sacrifice the now for a better future. Okay, the only future is right now because time isn't real. Okay, the, we, we have in our heads that there's the past, the now, and the future. No, it's all now. And obviously, you want to set yourself up for good stuff to come, but you don't need to alter your life for the worse now to try to depend on a better future later. If you are not, like, there's moments of, there's a place in life for thoughtful planning and long-term thinking, but you know, the problem is compulsive thinking and too much attention focused on the past and the future rather than embracing what you've got going on right now. Um, man, you're going to miss, you're going to miss all the now and you're going to miss your future. Your future won't be there if you, if you miss the now. Um, yeah, another one here is, uh, obey us or go to hell. Ugh, I hate this one. It's so I don't know, like, I'm still trying to decide. I think the hell is an existence, um, but not the way that, the you know, Christians say, oh, if you're bad, you go to hell. I don't, I don't think so. I think hell is just um, a state of existence. It can, you can be in hell <laughs> right here, right now. You, it's, it's your emotions and the state of being that you're in and the environment that you're in. I think you can be in hell in all kinds of places. There's not just a place called hell. I mean, there could be a place called hell that it's full of fiery bullshit. And I don't know, like, that's a tough one for me. I still sit on the fence with this whole heaven and hell. Okay. I'm still a believer. There is not just Walmart and Target for you to choose from. Okay. There's so many other places. I mean, hell is probably a place, you know, like one of a hundred million gajillion. But just because you do something wrong doesn't mean you're going to fucking hell. I mean, I don't know those people that kill people. Oh, I'm always like, yeah, you going to hell. You going straight to hell. I will say it, even though I don't know 
if it's there or not, but if it is, they should go there. <clears throat> I don't know. It's a tough one. But I don't know. So also the whole thing about, I don't know, Christ died to pay for our sins. Um, I don't know. Christians are going to be so mad at me. I just don't get it. Like, I, I feel like all humans that are here, um, you know, your actions and your thoughts and the feelings and the state of being determine your outcome, right? So only I can redeem myself or forgive myself or apologize to somebody else and change my own behavior. I don't think Jesus did that for me like 2,000 years ago. He was going through his own things and trying to help out the people in his life at the time, which I would do that for my family. I would do anything for my kids and my husband and my family. Like, you know, I would sacrifice a lot for my family. And I'm not doing that to become a religion that people need to say I died or I did this thing for everybody else's sins. I just, I feel like everybody needs to feel responsible for themselves so that you're responsible for your own beliefs and you're responsible for your own behavior and you're responsible for your own actions so that you can create a reality that's beautiful and you can follow in the footsteps of somebody. But I don't know that he paid for our sins because what about the sins that happened before Jesus? Who paid for those? Like were we paying for those before? Was somebody did the whole... There was someone here before that paid for those sins. I just don't know. It's a great story. I love it. I just don't know. I just don't know what to think about it really yet. What I do know is though, is that my beliefs are mine and your beliefs are yours and they're unique to each one of us and they can be whatever you want them to be and they can change whenever you want to change them. Um, they create your reality. I believe that if I spread love and happiness it, to other people, that it'll affect them enough that they will then want to spread love and happiness to other people and that's how you can reach the whole world. Um that's a belief that I have. Somebody could try to change my mind on it and I would be open to seeing if something was different. But in the end, that belief is mine to have. And I can believe that if I want to. I believe that there are multidimensional beings here and that they are a part of our world and we are a part of theirs. That's a belief that I have based on my own experiences. Somebody else might not have those beliefs and it's okay. My world and my reality is going to be completely different from theirs because of my beliefs and everybody else is entitled to have their own beautiful reality. So when it comes to the things that you assume but have decided that are true for you Make sure that they are coming from a loving source and that you're here to help others because helping others is the one way that you can always spread love. And when you get old and you're on your deathbed, you're not going to worry about the money that you made 
or the things that you have. You are going to sit with your beliefs and you are going to feel good about your life if you helped others and spread love. And you might have some regrets if your beliefs were shunning others and judging them and thinking that you were better than they were. So my advice is believe in whatever you want. I will not judge you and don't let anybody else who might judge you matter because the most important thing is that you follow your own heart. Make up your own beliefs. Fuck it, who cares? I hope I didn't get like, whoa, too crazy on this one. I was a little like, woo woo, we're gonna get deep into some religious stuff, which always pushes buttons, but it's okay. I'm a button pusher. I I just wanna end it with knowing that everybody's special and everybody's unique. Don't feel like you're not. So I hope you've enjoyed the time that we have spent here together and I can't wait to share more with you on the next Access Elysium podcast.